Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Soleil Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Hi, this is Randy Brockdrop, outdoor enthusiast and friend of Living the Outdoors. Welcome to another hour here on The Score. Attention, turkeys! From the tree stand that is the Fast Sign Studios. More than fast, more than signs. This is your home for the ultimate outdoor discussion. It's Living the Outdoors with Mark Druitt. From hunting and fishing to the trends and gear you need to be successful in the wild. Be part of the show by calling 281-1570 or 866-653-1570. Now your host, Mark Druick. Greetings and welcome to Living the Outdoors here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druick. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Here we are, kind of getting to the end of March and uh, getting ready for the upcoming turkey season. A lot of stuff happening out here in the outdoors. Ice fishing still going on. The walleye run up in De Pere is happening as well, and a lot of uh, anxious fishermen are waiting for the Wolf River to blow the ice out of it so they can get out there and enjoy that as well. But thanks for joining us tonight. If you have a question or a comment, 281-1570 or 866-653-1570, we'd love to hear from you. And please keep the emails coming to liveintheoutdoorswi at gmail.com, or you can uh, like my Facebook page as well. So a lot of things going on, and... uh, uh, my guest tonight uh, has been a guest in the past, hasn't been here for a while, but he is an official scorer for Pope and Young Club and the Boone and Crockett Club, Stan Zerbel. Stan, how you doing? Real good, Mark. Good to, good to be here. Great to have you back. I know we've kind of connected quite a bit over the years and attended a lot of different events, but this last weekend, uh, you and I got to connect again at the uh, Hunt of a Lifetime fundraiser down at the uh, Rod and Gun Club in Random Lake. Yeah, that was an outstanding event. I think that's one of the most worthwhile uh, events I I attend uh, any time of the year. Those guys do a great job, and, and they're so passionate about not only the outdoor sports, but they're passionate about the Hunt of a Lifetime, which is an organization that grants outdoor adventures to um, kids with a um, life-threatening illness. And these guys have been doing it for eight years. They're they raise a, a ton of money. The club's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden you can just tell, well, I must be in the right spot. The cars are parked up and down the, up and down the highway. But they do a great job uh, of gathering people from all over the place who want to come and, and raise money uh, for Hunt of a Lifetime. But, uh, yeah, I've, I was fortunate enough to spend some hours there and, and uh, sell a bunch of tickets and talk to people and kind of share that that passion for the outdoors is um, I've been associated with them now for you know, a couple of years and we're going to be planning an event at the real shot coming up probably later this summer. And uh, just a great organization guys that, that love to do something. And, and I talked to so many people and I said, you know, if you're an outdoor person, this is the perfect place to come and give back. Yeah. I think they have probably the most active uh, club that I know of anywhere around as far as trying to do some real good for people, mm-hmm. all the money they raise for that particular event goes to Hunt of a Lifetime. Um, I've been there um, a couple of years ago. One of the recipients' parents gave quite a speech ab- about how thankful they were 
Mm-hmm. And uh, you could have heard a pin drop in that place. Uh, it, it was quite emotional. It, yeah. it was for me. And, and uh, I, I just think it's, I look forward to going there, spending my whole day there yep. and, and uh, trying to help them out. And uh, since they added the deer measuring uh, the last, I don't know, maybe four or five years, mm-hmm. it's helped their crowd quite a bit. Oh, sure. There's and, a lot of guys coming in with, I've seen antelope and deer heads and racks and all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, they were they were uh, their members are very responsive and mm-hmm. uh, uh, people come from quite a ways away actually for that. So yeah. uh, it's it's an event I look forward to doing every year and uh, you know I'm glad to see that the real shot is getting involved in that. I think yep. uh, you guys have a, a really good venue there and I I think it's going to be real successful for you. Yeah, we look forward to that. We did our event last year, a fundraiser and uh, raised a bunch of money for them and got the JJ Keller Foundation to match any funds. Uh, so yeah, we were going to keep that ball rolling and, you know, probably put some type of a 3d shoot on and, and get something going there. But, um, yeah, we look forward to that as well, but Hey, we got our first caller up here tonight and it's, it's Gary. Thanks for uh, listening tonight. What can we do for you? Well, yeah, I just got a catalog in the, in the mail. I think it came, um, you know, I bought some vinyl lures, rubber lures, whatever you call those things, chartreuse, all the different colors. All right. And I tried worms and all that stuff. Never caught anything on them. Okay. What's your feeling on those? And second of all, um, in the olden days, I would go down to the Fox River and I would get helgramites. Sure. And I'd break them in two and you get two for the price of one because you got two fish. Sure. Um, what happened to the Helgramites and their habitat? And second of all, uh, what's your feeling on vinyl rubber, all these goofy lures? That they, or, uh, <laughs> thanks. Okay. Well, yep. Well, Gary, if you want to, uh, um, you can hang up or you can hang on. But anyway. Uh, no, I'll hang up. But all right. Well, thanks, thanks Gary. Um, personally, when I when I talk about uh, plastics a lot in the shop, and that seems to be the way the tr- they're trending. Plastics can be used for bass fishing. They can be used for pan fishing. And um, most importantly, over the last couple of years, become very successful for walleye fishing. Now, the key is making sure that you understand the water you're fishing in, whether it's river, the water's cloudy, uh, presentation, water temperature, things of that nature. That's why... You know, you got to stop into the real shot. We got a bunch of guys there that can get you on the right colors, uh, the right size jigs, the right presentation. A lot of that makes a difference uh, on what you use. But uh, up in De Pere, uh, a lot of the guys use the ripple shads. Uh, they use the ringworms um, from um, bee fishing and, and X tackle. Those seem to be really good. And now, depending. They have good success with that fishing off the rock bars and the reefs. If you get up closer to the dam, um, that might be a, a little different bite. Guys are, are using those fishing at night. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there, and I think the best thing to do is, is you know, get some, talk to some guys what their success is. Um, I recommend, Gary, that if you're in the area here, stop by the Real Shot, have the guys give you a once-over, walk you through all the different types of baits. There's a lot of stuff out there. It can become confusing, and, uh, you know, uh, you, you may end up be using the wrong color, the wrong presentation. Sometimes they like it a little bit slow, sometimes a little bit faster. Uh, but my take on plastics is, 
plastics is it, it's amazing how much we go through. And for bass fishing, it's almost an essential. Uh, there's frogs. There's uh, different types of um, twister tails and things that kitek. It's a paddle tail. There's so much stuff that's out there that can be effective. It's, again, matching the size, uh, what the fish are using, getting the right um, bullet heads or the right uh, jig heads to go with that uh, as well. But in second question you had in regards to helgramites, they become very expensive. It's a lot of their habitat. I see a lot of guys dipping a lot of the backwater uh, streams and sloughs. It's basically dragonfly larvae. So there's a short period of time when they're available to harvest. It's not like they can, the bait people can grow them or maintain them like they do minnows or worms and things of that nature. I think a lot of them have to be harvested by actually going out into these marshes and sloughs and streams and so on. So they're very expensive. Uh, they don't really live all that long, and they're very delicate. So uh, the thing of it is is that um, you know they're, they're, they're great because it's a natural bait for almost any fish that's out there, uh, you know, a dragonfly larvae. And, and uh, I've actually been um, sitting out in front of my house when there's a major hatch that goes on Lake Winnebago, and there'll just be thousands uh, of dragonfly larvae out there. But, yeah, it's back when we were kids, that's all we used to do is go into the sloughs and take a big screen and dig it into the weeds and dig through them. I mean, they're kind of creepy looking, but uh, very effective for bait. But, uh, hey, Gary, thanks a lot for the call. Um, we sure do appreciate it. But um, anyway, Stan, getting back to you were there, um, and you had another uh, young man with you as well. Is he from the area, or is that somebody that you work with exclusively? Or Yeah, it's uh, it's another Boone and Crockett measure. Okay. He lives down in Fond du Lac, and I actually uh, trained him quite a bit, and I helped okay. him get into the Boone and Crockett Club. And, uh, Excellent. It's, uh, it's always fun working with another guy, and uh, we've gone on some hunts together. Oh, go out to cool. Wyoming and shoot some antelope, and, you know, it, it's always fun to do stuff with a friend, whether it's fishing, <laughs> hunting, or yeah. even digging helgamites, which uh, is not any fun. Uh, no, we used to, <laughs> people be like waders, no, when we were kids, we never, we just put our old crappy tennis shoes on and just got right in the muck, and I mean, my oh, mom yeah. would literally hose us off because we smelled so bad, because that icky, silty you know, backwater muck is, uh, it's not very pleasant. Yeah, but, uh, I've got a friend that, that goes out and digs for him, and mm-hmm. I mean, he does everything, and uh, he knows where to find them, but they're <laughs> they're getting harder to find, I think, every year. And uh, and like you said, they don't last very long. That's the key. Yeah. Um, they're expensive if you have to buy them, and you better use them, but they are excellent. excellent Great panfish. I never caught as many uh, big perch as I did, over, you know, in my younger days as we did with, with Helgramites. You know, oh yeah, something about I, I that, fished but. on Winnebago with him with helgamites, and uh, it does the trick. I can even catch a fish then, so <laughs> that's, they they must be good bait. Well, Stan, let's start out a little bit and, and introduce you to the listeners. I mean, obviously you've been on the show before, but um, you know you're a passionate outdoor guy. You you love you know obviously taking it to this level, you become a scorer. But how how did you get involved in the outdoors? Did you have somebody that kind of exposed you? Was it a family member? How did that work for you? Well, actually, uh, I just started hunting when uh, I was about a junior in high school, and okay. I decided to go deer hunting. And uh, nobody in my family really hunted much before, and I just I just fell into it. And of course, the more mistakes you make, the more 
<laughs> you know, the more you the, tr- the more you try, and yep. uh, I just I just kind of loved it, and uh, I really got interested in the deer measuring. Uh, in the late '80s, I went to Madison to the big deer show down there. Oh, sure. With one of my friends uh, who was who was in the Buck and Bear Club, Wisconsin Buck and Bear Club, and at the time uh, there was a Goldie Haskey head there, which was the number six typical head in the world. It was in the measuring area, and I, I got to go back there, and here I am, you know, never saw anything like that. And the guy says, go take a picture with it. So I picked this number six head in the world up, and I said to my friend, I said, I, I got to get into this measuring. I, I got to see more of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, and I did. It, it took me about a, a year or so to get into the Wisconsin Buck and Bear Club, and and I did a little training there and, and took a test to become a state measurer. And, of course, from there I wanted to get into Pope and Young because my passion is bow hunting and right. still is today. Sure. And because I – this goes back a way. How, 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 how difficult was the training? Was it pretty intense or is it just one of those things where you just have to keep continuing to do it? Obviously, you got to be able to read a ruler. But, you know, how, how, how does that process go? Well, the, the training is, is actually, if you're interested in doing it and you can read a tape measure, uh, anybody, can, anybody can do it. The, the key is getting invited to a measuring class. Okay. There aren't, there aren't tons of people needed, so they don't, want to put, they don't want to put two measurers a mile apart. So they kind of, right. the area you're in is, is kind of what, what makes you successful or not successful. And, of course, how hard you get out there and recruit heads. Um, I happen to be in a really good area. As you know, uh, probably close to the real shot here within an hour's drive, there there's probably 25 or 30,000 bow hunters here in this That's area. That's a lot of them. <laughs> and I, I get, for years, I've gotten, the majority of those guys brought me deer, bear, caribou, elk, whatever, and uh, it's it's made me one of the most uh, prolific measures in North America. And that's the, you've been doing this for how many years now? Um, I got into Pope and Young in '95 in in Boone and Crockett the okay. uh, the next year. So all right, well let's start out. Let's talk. You you mentioned Pope and Young. You're a bow hunter, so that has some oh, pretty yeah. significant meaning for you. Let's tell the listeners a little bit about a little history on Pope and Young and how that all came about. Well, for me, the Pope and Young Club has has always been kind of the leader in the industry because they've tried to protect bow hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, get get us more time, which of course they did, along with Wisconsin bow hunters. Uh, in Wisconsin, we have a long, long bow season, and I mean that's pretty awesome. So, uh, but the Pope and Young Club to me, uh, it 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 doesn't just keep the records of the stuff; it shows you the importance of conservation and and the old stories they tell about Fred Bear, how he pioneered so much of bow hunting. Mm-hmm. It's just something that stuck with me and and with you too i guess you know yeah absolutely and in you know pope and young are two individuals that just kind of had that never-ending passion for for bow hunting and one you know got together and put this legacy and stuff but when you talk about uh, pope and young that's archery only correct yeah that's archery only and and uh the difference between pope and young and Boone and crockett is pope and young only accepts archery and that would be handheld uh, recurve longbow or compound bow, where Boone and Crockett would accept any 
animal killed by any means that meets their minimums. Okay. So you can you can put a bull kill in Boone and Crockett if it's big enough. Okay. And actually, that's my goal in life is to make Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett with one arrow. I haven't quite been able to do that. I've been <laughs> close a couple of times, but uh, that's a pretty big uh, that's a pretty big challenge. But you know, it can be done. It's doable. Oh, it's very doable, and I I think uh, one of my good chances would be uh, a black beer in Wisconsin. You know, hope you get a big one and don't shoot a small one. Uh, maybe you'll get lucky. Uh, so let's. You said you mentioned the word minimums. How how is that? Uh, what is the minimum score to get into the the Pope and Young book. Okay, for the Pope and Young Club, uh, a typical white-tailed deer has to have a net score of 125, and a non-typical deer has to have a net score of 155. So those are our reasonable goals. Uh, nice deer. You get mm-hmm. an eight-pointer that scores 125. It's a really nice buck. Yeah, exactly. And and of course, if you get a non-typical deer that scores over 155, that's a big buck. Uh, 155 on anything, I think, is yeah. a pretty nice deer. It would be, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we had, uh, I had a, a friend of mine, I scored something for him 10, 11 years ago, and he called me up this year, and he said, Stan, I I think I, I killed the deer that every bull hunter is looking for. And it ended up to be a 10-point buck that grossed a little over 180, and it netted 175. And wow. when I saw that thing... I said to him, "That you're exactly right. That's that's the deer I want to kill. It was wow. just awesome. That, that's that's just you know. I think all of us who are are bull hunters always want to um, shoot that that buck of a lifetime. You know that uh, that that scores uh, scoring doesn't mean everything to everybody, but I think it's a great way if you have a passion for that. A great way to leave your name in a, in a legacy in a sport that you love." It is, and I always tell people that if you enter a deer in in the Wisconsin record book or in Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett, it leaves a little bit of a legacy Mm -hmm. as you hand that head down to your son or daughter or nephew. It means a little bit more with that certificate. It's in a record book. It's something that not everybody can achieve. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I think once you get that in your blood, it's... you know, I've passed hundreds of deer in my life, mm-hmm. and I really don't care if I shoot one unless it's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to shoot a doe for venison, of course. Well, I hope but, so. Uh, I'd have something to eat. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think most people, uh, after you do stuff a while, you, you kind of get it. You know, it's kind of like fishing. Yep. You maybe throw back some fish that when you were a kid you would have kept. Yep. And uh, it's a natural progression for people. I think it's it's a good thing. You're right, Stan, and I think that's the beauty of 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 hunting. You buy your license, which dollars go to continue, you know, to carry on the opportunity um, to harvest an animal. But I think you you can if you want to if you want to eat your tag and you don't want to shoot something, the beauty of it is then don't, you know. And I'm not much different than yourself. Now that I look back at in retrospect, there are probably a couple of deer I probably should have shot, but you know it was my prerogative to say, you know what, I, I know there's there's opportunities to get a bigger deer here, and and you wait for that, you it may not come, but that I was never disappointed about not taking a deer. It's oh, kind of yeah. like it, it's it's a challenge. A lot of times there were there were bigger deer that I wish I would have gotten a shot at, 
but just didn't have the opportunity. But I, I still consider that to be a win. I got him within shooting distance. I just He didn't give me the right shot, and I'm not one of those guys that's just going to fling an arrow just to try and put something in a big deer. I've got to have – it's got to be right for me. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's more – after you do it a while, it, it's more about the hunt is, is more mm-hmm. important than, than the actual kill. Mm-hmm. And I – I enjoy it whether I kill something or not. It's yeah. nice to see deer, and uh, I've I've actually passed up some Pope and Young deer because I knew there was a bigger one. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're never. I was never been lucky enough to have that happen to me. But I've uh, I've I've got a few Pope and Young animals, and uh, you know I just can't wait to get out there and do it again. You know, and that that's that is the, you know you you hit the nail right on the head. It's not so much you know in your younger days you. You just wanted to, you know, everybody, did you get your buck? Did you get your buck? You know, it's kind of like, I've shot more does than bucks. Oh, yeah. You know, for the simple reason. I love venison, and I would much rather shoot a doe than a a two-and-a-half-year-old or even a a three-and-a-half-year-old deer. But, again, that's my prerogative. If I decide I want to, um, I will. Uh, and, And if not, you know, you just, you make it the way you want it to be and don't care about what anybody else says or, or tells you yeah that that's right you, you know when i when i speak to groups uh i always tell the young kids in in the in any group i talk to is shoot a bunch of animals shoot mm-hmm. some does shoot some little bucks shoot everything you want to shoot mm-hmm. and after about 10 years you'll maybe maybe you'll be like me and you'll say hey, i'm gonna let that one go mm-hmm. and if you don't fine but but if you kill a lot of stuff when you're young you're probably going to be get into it pretty good and and uh, make it more fun. You yeah. know, don't don't be afraid to shoot a little six pointer. That's what you should shoot. And someday when you when you get a little older, maybe you want to let that buck walk. Or, yep. But uh, shoot a lot of stuff so you're content someday to be willing to let him go. You know, oh. that's Stan. I'm I'm in 100% agreement with that, and I think that be be happy and be proud and be honored to put your hand on that animal, regardless of what it is. You know, I've had a couple of guys mention to me, well, you know, once I got up to them, I had a little ground shrinkage, you know. It's like, you know, I've had, actually had a couple guys say to me, I wish I wouldn't have shot him. It's like, why did you then? You know, no, that- don't don't possess the power to take to harvest an animal if you're not going to be 100% happy and proud um, to take that. And I've always been that way. I've never been the guy that has to, you know, I, I went to Iowa this last year. We could not get on a, I could not get the shot at a big buck. We had four or five of them, but every time we tried to get close or we did something else, they'd put the slip on us. And the farmer down there, he goes, you're killing the deer. You can't leave here until you, they have so many deer down there. The farmer's like, you have to kill one. Oh and, yeah. And, yeah. and I ended up shooting a, a really nice buck. It wasn't a monster buck. But I was just as proud to put my hands on that deer as any of the bigger ones that I shot when I was down there. Because number one, I got venison. There's so many deer down there. I had Stan. I had at one night. I had 60 deer in front of me. 18 of them were bucks. I mean, pretty decent bucks. You know, and you got your little scrubbies and your does and and fawns and stuff like that. But when you take a look at that, it's and even my friend down there, he goes, shoot whatever you want. If you're going to be happy to put your hands on it, I don't care. You want to shoot? You want to wait for a big one? I don't like to go down there and not come home with something, whether it be a doe or a buck. But I, like I said, I was just as honored to put my hands on that deer as if, you know, 
than anything I've ever shot in my life. So yeah, Iowa is a great place to go. I've I've muzzleloaded, hunted there already, and uh, seen some some really good animals. Mm-hmm. And and of course, the good thing about Iowa is nobody lives there. You know, it's <laughs> it's a uh, it's not a very populated area. You get out to the rural areas, it's gravel roads and hilly yeah. and and mm-hmm. uh, some pretty rough country. But it's to me, it's beautiful. It's I think it's awesome ideal. Country. I agree. It's ideal deer country when you get down to like that south central part down along the Missouri border. That's like Buffalo County. Big, long ditches. The only place that there's woods is where the farmer can't get a tractor. And it's usually big, long ditches, big, high oak ridges, and uh, lots of agriculture. Yeah, it, it's really good. It's lots really good. Lots of agriculture. Uh, so, I, uh, I hunted on a guy down there a couple of years ago who was – actually a little concerned about he was getting older and he said i don't know if anybody's going to be here to buy my farm he said we're we're running out of people in in some of the rural areas isn't that crazy know, but they're never going to run out of deer it's <laughs> it's an awesome place to go no they and their winters are not harsh they're better than ours yeah they're they're a lot better than ours you wouldn't think in that you know six seven hour drive the weather would be that dramatic but uh, uh the deer have a much better chance of surviving all right well listen we're gonna go ahead and take our first break when we come back we'll have more of a Live in the Outdoor show here on The Score. Welcome back to the Live in the Outdoor show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Jerwick. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Hey, if you want to give us a call, 281-1570 or 866-653-1570. Stan Zerbel, the official measure for the Pope and Young Club and the Boone and Crockett Club, is joining me here tonight. If you got a question for him or for us or anything in general, or you just want to join in on the conversation, give us a call. And please keep the emails coming to livingtheoutdoorswi at gmail.com. So when you talk about uh, Pope and Young Club, obviously that's, that's archery. Um, is cro- are crossbows excluded from, from that, or how does that work? Because obviously you and I know crossbows are such an integral part of the, of the uh, deer hunting season here in Wisconsin. How does that work from that standpoint? Yeah, right now, and I think not not any time in the near future, uh, Pope and Young probably will not accept crossbows. Um, a bow has got to be handheld, so it could either be a long bow or a recurve or a compound bow. I know I do get people call me up and, and say, hey, I got a bow kill. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to ask them now because sure. I, mean, I think roughly 50% of all kills that time of year are with crossbow. So... I always ask people ahead of time, uh, you know, I, I'll measure your deer, but you can't put it in Pope and Young. It's just their rule. It's it's an exclusive club for, you know, for handheld archery. It's it's really no different than, you know, if you're in a if you're in a trap club and you have to shoot a 12 gauge, you can't you can't take a 20 gauge in there. You have to follow the rules of their club, and uh, it's not like they're trying to tell anybody how to hunt. But if you want to be part of their club, that's that's their rules. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a little more of a primitive weapon than, than a right. crossbow is, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, there, there's a lot of of, uh, um, of folks out there nowadays using crossbows, and that's great. I mean, any anytime you get people involved in the sport, I mean, I've personally been responsible for getting a lot of people back into the sport of archery. Yes, it's with a crossbow, but at least now, they have an opportunity to go out there and do something where for many years they just weren't interested and, and um, you know, just wanted to go out and, and, and harvest a deer. But, you know, that's the rich heritage of, of the Pope and Young Club. Like you said, it's an exclusive club, and 
their it's their club, their rules. Yeah, but but you know, in the same token, uh, I'll get guys, you know, people that are maybe slightly handicapped, bad shoulder, bad mm-hmm. back, whatever, that shoot a qualifying deer that makes Boone and Crockett, you know, with the crossbow or makes the state of Wisconsin. Actually, in the, the Wisconsin Buck and Bear Club record book. Uh, will accept crossbows at the same 125 minimum that Pope and Young oh, accepts. Okay. And so we do a lot of those. You know, so there's, there's, of, there's the Pope and Young Club, and then there's the Wisconsin Buck and Bear Club, which pretty much, um, well, why don't you elaborate on that a little bit, Stan, and tell us how, a little bit about that club. Yeah, well, the Wisconsin Buck and Bear Club, there again, has their own rules. And, of course, since you can only enter animals killed in the state of Wisconsin, it makes it quite simple and many years ago, the club adopted the same rules as Pope and Young. So we, we thought, well, we'll do the 125 okay. for, for uh, bow kills, and now we'll do the same for crossbows. And for uh, firearms, Wisconsin Buck and Bear Club has made it a little easier to make the state record book. Uh, a 150 net for a gun kill will make it, or a non-typical would be 170. So those minimums are a little smaller than Boone and Crockett's. And, you know, there's a lot of deer in Wisconsin that will make those minimums. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boone and Crockett's a little tougher, but, uh, you know, we do a lot of Boone and Crockett stuff in the state in the last 10, 15 years compared to going back 25 years ago. Uh, there's better opportunities uh, almost everywhere, even even where I live in, in you know, Brown County. Um, there are Pope and Young deer there now, and, and years ago there weren't. But uh, mm-hmm. more people are letting them go, letting them grow a little more private land. Yep. Uh, yeah, people are managing their their property more for for wildlife and and deer. You know, yeah, they are. Yeah, and, and you know, it, a deer is a it, it's a harvestable and marketable item that you can you know maybe let that deer live another year and, and shoot him when he's better next year. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always work that way, right? But people can manage that, and and that's kind of where the quality deer management thing works good. Um, some areas around here are just fabulous. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Wapaka County is, mm-hmm. you know, outstanding. I've done so many Pope and Youngs from there. You know, I'm kind of glad Wapaka is close to me because I don't have <laughs> Buffalo County here, you know. Uh, which, actually, Buffalo County is still considered one of the best counties in North America. But, you know, there's some other ones pretty good. Wapaka County has been excellent. and uh, Yeah, there's some really good area. I remember when I first bought my property, um, and kind of bought into the concept of quality deer management and shooting does. I mean, the, the ratio was way out of whack. I mean, there were just way too many does, and I'm sure there was some type of inbreeding going on. You had three and a half year old bucks that 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 we were shooting that had little or no rack or a spoon and a spike and all this kind of stuff. But after, you know, not really taking a, a approach of culling deer out, but harvesting more does, getting the ratio a little bit closer together, letting those you know, two and a half, three and a half year old deer. Boy, I tell you, it doesn't take long and and you're shooting some really nice deer. Really yeah, it, nice deer. It can turn around pretty fast. I know we had uh well that's quite a few years ago we had Ernabuck and uh oh, yeah. it thinned them out maybe almost too much. We had it a couple of years in a row, maybe too many. Mm-hmm. But after that, uh, we've had, you know, some better deer, better bucks, uh probably a little healthier deer herd. And mm-hmm. uh it, it's a good idea to shoot the does. Uh, yep. I actually, uh, about a month ago, I had a gentleman bring me an eight-point deer he killed in Wapaka that netted 
166 and 6 eighths. An eight-pointer? An eight-pointer with the bow. I think that's got to be in the top four or five ever killed in Wisconsin. Wow. And it was, I mean, That thing had to be just awesome. massive. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't talk about stuff that comes to me very often because I do a lot of stuff, but that, right. that thing was just awesome. A deer to be that big and only eight-pointer. And the guy who got it was, you know, he's a regular guy. He was no bragger. He was yeah. just right place, right time. Sure. And uh, it was cool. <laughs> really cool. That's got to be kind of fun for you to get your hands on some of these really nice deer and see a lot of nice deer. Oh, it, it definitely is. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, measure uh, quite a few state records, county mm-hmm. records, uh, and, of course, with Boone and Crockett, world records. And, uh, you know, it's a rush to see that big stuff that, you know, most people never get to see. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's kind of what got me into the measuring is yeah. I'm not going to be able to kill those animals where I live, and I can maybe travel someplace where mm-hmm. I can maybe kill one, but I get to see a bunch of them every, every year. And, uh, you know, it's it just like meeting you. I, yep. I make I make friends yep. just from measuring for people, and uh, it's just been great. Uh, I think that's I, I how think we so. met. Cause I, it is. <laughs> I, I shot I shot a big one in Iowa, and yeah, it was in the uh, Wisconsin Outdoor News, and you called, you found me, and you called me, and you're like, I want to score that deer. Yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah, I probably that's did. How, that's how it started. I drove out to your house um, in uh, in Brown County, and uh, you're like, hey, yeah. I mean, it was it was a beautiful deer. I didn't really care about the score on it. I knew it was big, you know, but um, it's it was kind of cool that somebody like, hey, you know, you got a pretty pretty nice deer there. I'd like to get my hands on it. Yeah, so. it's you know that, that's the thing about it is is you know if you're enthusiastic and and you want to hear the guy's story and I love that. Oh, I bet I mean, that's I, a, that's the best part. I don't want to sit and watch TV at night. I wanna <laughs> I want to talk to you about your hunt. Yep. And you know, I'll have guys call me up and say, yeah, we're not coming by you this year. We didn't get anything, but we want to talk to you anyway. Oh, cool. And, you know, stop over anyway. And, and you know, we have some pretty pretty cool meetings at my house. Uh, or if I, once in a while, I'll, I'll go over to a friend's house. But uh, yeah, it's, I've made so many friends doing this and so many contacts and actually some good hunting contacts, too. Oh, bet. It's uh it's just a, a endless pursuit of, of finding another big one, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, to me, it's it's just what I live for. Yeah, and it kind of, it's it's kind of cool for you too because uh, how does that work in the book? Does your if you score something that makes the book, do you get recognition for being the one that scores it? How does that well, work? Well, I get recognition in uh, in like the like the Boone and Crockett Fair Chase magazine okay. or the Pope and Young Ethic, but when they print a record book, it's strictly honoring the deer and okay. the hunter and that's the way it should be too yep yeah you know, i think yeah i just wasn't quite sure if how that worked or if there was you know um some recognition on you your part being the being the guy that handled it or whatever um but um now when, if you're scoring something and, and it does go into the book does are you, does somebody else have to verify that or how does that work is it just you know obviously your official score but you know that goes without saying um yeah if uh, if i measure a deer uh unless it's like in the top like for the state of wisconsin if it's in the top five they want us to have more than one guy measure it to qualify that 
you know, make sure it belongs in the top five. Or in Boone and Krakatoa, if it's in the top five in the world, it's got to be panel measured. How many guys and, are on the panel? Um, generally, if you're at a Boone and Crockett panel, you'll have teams of two guys, but there'll be like 16 people there. Oh, geez. And you and I will measure a deer or a caribou or moose or whatever, okay. and then another group will measure it, and we will compare our measurements to the original score sheet to see if it was done correctly. Does it really belong there? You know? Okay. Oh, very cool. See? That's why we're doing this, get people educated on how this all happens. Uh, but listen, we're going to go ahead and take another break. When we come back, we're going to have more of Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. Welcome back to the Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druick. Thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, my guest is Stan Zerbel. He's an official scorer for the Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett Club. And uh, we took a call. Uh, the gentleman didn't want to come on the air, but uh, had a question in regards to the buck to the bucket to doe ratio. Um, Stan and I kind of were discussing that during the break, and like you said, Stan, it kind of depends on where you are and the density of your population. And a lot of times, I think you know we talk about Wapaka County. I mean, I, even in within Wapaka County, what I've noticed talking to a lot of people is those deer are kind of pocketed. Some habitats better than others, and uh, when I alluded to it before the break is when I would, uh, my observations, I used to keep a log book of what I would see, when I would see it, what the weather conditions were, barometric pressure, blah, 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 deer movement. I would see, you know, probably eight to 10 does to one buck. And it's kind of like, no, some of these need to be, um, need to be taken off just to, from my perspective of being a bull hunter, I want less does, so I see more buck movement. It seemed to me the more does I had around, the less bigger bucks you'd see. You'd see the young year-and-a-half and two-and-a-half-year-olds two harassing them and chasing them around, but you just wouldn't see the bigger ones moving around as much. And we started to shoot more does, shoot more does, shoot more does, and my cameras would dictate to me these big the buck movement. It start The bigger buck movement over the years would start to change and you'd start to see more of them during the daylight hours. And it seemed to me, at least from my perspective, they were out looking for does because there was less of them. Yeah, I think that that's actually what, what's happening in a lot of places. I know where I hunt a lot, there's there's quite a bit of private land that used mm -hmm. to be open to more hunters. Sure. And you can drive around this time of year, and there's a lot of deer there. Mm -hmm. And deer that wouldn't have been there 10 years ago. Yeah. So those private areas are loaded with deer. Now, I hunt in a big swamp that is divided in 20s and 40s and hunted a lot. And, you know, I think in that area, we've got a pretty good handle on them. Mm -hmm. But in some of these private areas where maybe one family hunts a 200-acre farm mm -hmm. and they don't let other people in there, uh, they have a lot of deer. Um, you know, good for them, but they should be shooting more does. And, yep. uh uh, sometimes I think, I used to think that, you know, if I had land, I'd want to have as many does as I could could have on it mm -hmm. to have bucks come into my land. But, you know, too many is not good. It, it doesn't work that way. It, uh, you know, too many does, they get, the bucks get tied up with them, mm -hmm. and you're sitting there wondering where your deer is, and he's not coming because he's out chasing the girls. Yep, you know? he's, he's locked up, and when he's done with that, when he just moves on to the next one. And, and 
to me, those bigger bucks don't like to be chasing stuff around anyway. You know, yeah. they, yeah. to me, I think they, they went, they let the younger ones do that. When that doe comes into estrus, they just, they just go kick them off and take over. Yeah, it, it, seem, it seems that way. And, and you know, it, it kind of goes back to, uh, you know, nowadays everybody has cameras. And guys are coming to my house showing me all these pictures of these big bucks they have on camera, but they're usually night pictures. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, till you show me day pictures, you're not going to kill that deer. Mm-hmm. And that exactly. happens on my land all the time. We had a we had a five and a half year old eight pointer who was, you know, a shooter. He wasn't a great buck, but he was a shooter. And we had pictures of him. Only night pictures. Our neighbors are the only people that had a day picture of them, and they only had one or two. Wow. So he's probably going to be running around again. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, when he gets a little older, he might start making mistakes because that happens too when they get older. And uh, matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine killed a deer that was seven and a half years old this year in an wow. area where they kill a lot of deer. So... Where did he come from? I don't know. But, isn't, that, uh, isn't that crazy? It, it, it was. It, it was uh, the only thing I would say is it was a seven and a half year old deer with a 120 inch rack. So I maybe passed him at one time. You may have. But, uh, you know, more power to him. He shot him. It was the deer, the right deer to shoot. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's all's good. He was happy with the deer. Yeah. Uh, I was happy he didn't shoot a big one. So <laughs> everybody, everybody wins. Everybody wins. But yeah. It's, you know, uh, it might be more of a deer biologist question of what the expectations are for buck-to-doe ratio, but I know the closer it is, um, the better off they want it. But, you know, again, it does depend on where you are, deer density. Uh, there's just so many factors that, that roll into that. But, um, you know, I did I definitely did notice it. Uh, the more the more does we shot, the, the more uh, buck activity we the we would see, especially in that pre-rut when they're out searching and they're, you know, hitting scrapes and, and stuff like that. It would, uh, I'd always know, um, I'd have a couple cameras set in pretty strategic travel corridors. And when that would hit, those daytime pictures would start showing up as usually about the 26th, 27th of October. Yeah, that's about it. Always... And then it would just kind of, you know, crescendo from there. And then all of a sudden it would stop. And it took me a few years to figure that out. But that, to me, I determined... Those they're just locked up with those, and they're not moving anywhere. Yep, I know. I I try to hunt anytime the wind is in my favor. Absolutely. But, but I hunt a lot more toward the end of October. I just go places where I can hunt. Right. I put a little more effort into it, unless I have one spotted early in the year. I killed a Pope and Young buck a couple of years ago the second night I went out, but I knew where he was. I knew where he bedded, and I just waited for the right wind, and uh, got lucky. Yeah, but that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, well, but you <laughs> not put, to me. <laughs> you used you used your woodsman skills to make you make sure you the wind was right, the conditions were right. There's a little bit of that goes into yeah, being in the right place at the right time. But sometimes we have to we have to know when to go to a stand and when not to go oh, to a yeah. stand. I I think that that's the fun thing about measuring and and even with like Boone and Crockett deer deer that are good enough to get invited to the Boone and Crockett uh, panel measures stuff uh most of those people are right place right time everyday guys that are just happier than heck you know and matter of fact uh i measured a black bear for a 14 year old kid last year whose dad took oh no maybe 12 year old kid whose dad took him out and he killed a boone and crockett bear 
probably the first thing the kid ever killed. And <laughs> he's actually going to get invited as a youth to go to the Boone and Crockett panel. They have a special thing for kids. You know, wow, that's awesome. And it is awesome. You know, uh, so the stories, you know, yep. the, that I hear yeah, are just exactly. just incredible. It just that's what makes it fun. Absolutely. You know? Well, we're on the Boone and Crockett thing. Let's touch base upon that. You know, we talked about Pope and Young from an archery standpoint. Let's talk a little bit about Boone and Crockett. Everybody, you always hear people say, oh, it's a Booner, it's a Booner. Uh, talk a little bit about what the qualifications are to be a part of that club. Well, for Boone and Crockett, basically, uh, they've established minimums quite a bit higher than Pope and Young has for all North American big game. Mm -hmm. Not just white-tailed deer, but, you know, black bear, brown bear, caribou, moose. And um, like Alaska moose has got a, you know, it's got to be huge. A 200-inch Alaska moose doesn't make Boone and Crockett. You know, it's, people don't understand how wow. big they have to be. Sure. But uh, like for whitetails here in Wisconsin, uh, a minimum is 160 net for a typical, and 170 is all time. And what that means is, is if you kill a one, anything below between 160 and 170, gets put in a three-year awards book for by okay. Boone and Crockett, yep. and anything 170 or greater goes in an all-time book, which means forever. Every time they print a book, it stays in there. And the same thing would be non-typical, would be 185 awards, 195 non-typical. And a 195 non-typical whitetail is is a pretty big buck. That's a big deer. That's a big deer. <laughs> most, most people will never see one. Right. They will think they saw them, but, you know, the reality of it is there just aren't that many around. No. But it's it's pretty awesome. And, and uh, I, I think the, the most misunderstood thing about Boone and Crockett is it's not just a measuring organization. Mm -hmm. It is probably the leading conservation organization in the country. I mean, hey, Teddy Roosevelt was the founder. Exactly. And would there be national parks without him? Nope. Uh, maybe not many. Mm -mm. And, you know... Back in his day, hunters were killing everything, and mm -hmm. and he kind of set the standard that we just can't do this anymore. And and I think that tradition that Boone and Crockett is 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 keeping alive is why there's better animals all the time. Sure. I mean, we we are exceeding world records in every three years we do a panel, and there's always a few world records, even in this day when there's so many hunters. So the, the conservation effort by hunters and by the Boone and Crockett Club and Pope and Young Club and local mm -hmm. local clubs is really the driving force there. And, and that's what makes it neat. Exactly. And you can be you can be a, a member of the Boone and Crockett Club without having a scorable animal. You I can mean, you can join that and be a part of it and, and they got a whole bunch of uh, I think you get a magazine and some other things and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, they actually have a big drive on right now, an associates drive that you can you can get the Boone and Crockett Fair Chase magazine um, yearly for for a fee. And if, if you want to step up, you can get a a really cool. Uh, you can join the Boone and Crockett Club as a sponsor associate, okay. and there you get a a special uh, uh, skinning knife made. Uh, with the Boone and Crockett logo on it, Very cool. and you get a Boone and Crockett hat, plus you get the Boone and Crockett membership of the magazine. And really, for for the $100 fee, it's actually a pretty good deal. I mean, the knife is is worth, you know, $50 or $60, and the hat is 20 and mm -hmm. the membership's 35 So it's a pretty good deal. Uh, um, you know, people that are aware of it are, are buying them. Uh, and uh, 
Yeah, you know, it's good. It's good that people get behind these organizations because without these organizations, we wouldn't have anything. We exactly. wouldn't. The hunters would not take care of stuff by themselves. You know, as much as we complain about the Wisconsin DNR, without them, where would we be? Right. You know, somebody's got to be taking care of us as hunters. And, uh, you know, in the case of the Boone and Crockett Club especially, uh, they have just are leading North America with with trying to do stuff the right way and, and uh, you know, preserving what we have out there for hunting land and it's, it, it's just an awesome journey to be part of. Well, and that's why I encourage people to be a part of that, to get a better understanding of what the organization is all about. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Stan, because people look at it as like, well, it's just a bunch of guys who walk around and score animals and put it in a book. It's much more than that. We need to have these people that um, continue to carry on the stewardship for the outdoors and, and be able to um, have the future generations have the opportunity to hunt some of these animals. And, and like you said, it's, it is pretty incredible in this day and age when you've got so many guys that are, that are hunting and participating in the sport that you can still produce world-class animals. Yeah, it is. Actually, uh, last, last year at the Boone and Crockett panel, and at actually the same elk was at the Pope and Young panel, okay. a world-record elk was killed on public land by a bow hunter. And, you know, for that to happen, that, that's just amazing. You know, that is a rarity. A, how can a guy go on public land and kill a world record <laughs> elk? You know, that's because there are so many elk hunters, and, and that, that's just a testament of, of there are good animals and good, good places out there. Oh, and a lot of them, and I think we are so fortunate in Wisconsin to have so much public ground to hunt on as a bow hunter. Yeah, public, I mean, there's a public lot of ground great, is, oh. public ground is good. People don't think it is. But they think, oh, there's too many people there. But as for bow hunting, no, go go hunt the public land. You'll be surprised. There's Absolutely. some really good areas. Absolutely. All right, well, listen, we're going to go ahead and take our last break. When we come back, we're going to wrap it up here on the Living the Outdoor Show on The Score. Oh, Fred Bear, walk with me down the trails again. Take me back, back where I belong. Welcome back to the Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druick. Thanks for joining us tonight. And, Stan, before we wrap it up tonight, a couple of things. I know you've got an event that you uh, we would definitely want to talk about. But um, if somebody in the course of the season thinks they've got a, a deer that would make the record book, what's the process for them? to, to Do they get a hold of you? Is there a process that they need to, to do to get that figured out? I know there's some uh, some drying period that goes on. If you could explain that, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, there there is a 60-day drying period on all animals. Uh, I know a guy brought me a a mountain lion skull here a couple of weeks ago that that he had in the freezer and it was just a big hunk of frozen meat and of course that isn't it's got to be clean of all flesh and it's got to be okay. air dried at room temperature for sure. 60 days so a white-tailed deer if you don't stick it in the freezer can be measured 61 days after you harvest it mm-hmm. you know it's got to be room temperature uh you know and, and the other thing I, I want to mention real quick here uh when you enter a deer in any of these record books, you are honoring that animal for the mm-hmm. last time. And it's not so much just, oh, I'm the great hunter that's got another yeah. one in the book. And a lot of guys think that, but really it's you're honoring the animal and where you hunt and part of the process. And uh, I think that's important for people to look at that. Well it's said. not just the number that you put on that deer. Right. It's the fact that it was good enough to make the Wisconsin record book or... Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett, you know, it's, 
it, that, that's a big deal. I mean, these animals are, uh, um, when you take a look at what they have to do to survive and you just happen to be the uh, in the right place at the right time and the lucky individual that, that took that animal, it's, uh, yeah, that's something special. But, yeah, that's well said. It is, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, one of the things I wanted to touch on a little bit is every two years, uh, the Pope and Young Club has what they call a bow hunter's rendezvous. And uh, this year it's June 8th, 9th, and 10th. And it's at the McKenzie Center down in Poinette. And there are um, a host of different ranges. They have a long-distance shoot, uh, aerial archery shoot, which is, you know, it's kind of a fun event. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, I'm not too good at hitting those in the air, but there are guys <laughs> that do pretty good, you know. Sure. And, and uh, you know, they have an auction down there, and they have 3D courses, uh, a bunch of good vendors, and it is about 99% all bow hunters, and it is so much fun. It's just good stories, and uh, you run into people. You know, I'll run into people that I met in, you know, in Springfield, Missouri at a Pope and Young convention, or I met them in Reno at a Boone and Crockett convention. And, sure. And they'll show up, and you talk about just like just like I saw them every day. And I, I saw them, you know, three or six or nine years ago. Right, and right. And it's, it's just all like-minded people. You know, it's it, it's it's a fun event. Uh, hopefully there's good weather. And, you know, it's, it's uh, What's raises the date a on little that? money for, the, for a good cause. What's the date on it? It is June 8, 9, and okay. 10 at the McKenzie Center in Poinette. So, you know, it's, it's not too far from here, a couple hours drive. Um, you know, people can stop in for a day. You won't be sorry. It's good. They, they uh, have uh, shuttle service. They take you to the different shoots. There's tons of stuff to do. There's stuff for sale pretty reasonable. Awesome. Uh, stories are free, and it's awesome. Oh, you know, and I encourage anybody, if there's listeners out there, you know somebody, this is one of those events, if you're interested in, in the sport of bow hunting, this would be a place I would go. You can talk yep. to people who are passionate about it. You can learn about it. Um, it's an event geared, like you said, the higher percentage of people there are bow hunters. This is one of those places you'd want to go and get educated. It is. Yeah. And, and, uh, like I said, if the weather's good, I think they're going to have a really good crowd. Uh, they picked Wisconsin for a reason. Yeah. Wisconsin people are passionate about their hobbies and, mm -hmm. and sports and, uh, we'll have good participation. I know we will. Uh, um, sometimes it's almost a sin that's in Wisconsin again because that means that some of us have to go and work there. Yep. But that that's a good thing too. You get yeah. to you get to see people and uh, meet people again and renew friendships. Yeah. It's it's absolutely. all part of the fun. Yeah, absolutely. And and to have something like that um, in, in our backyard, like we had this last fall, with the the judging of the federal waterfall stamp. You know, you take advantage of those things that uh, that are here when they're here because they may end up going somewhere else. So get in on it. You know, take advantage of the opportunity to do that. And, you know, right in our own backyard. And Poinette is not that far from here. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it, and, and like we talked earlier about the hunt of a lifetime, with you having that, you know, at your at your shop there at uh, the Real Shot, it's a really good opportunity for hunters to go out mm -hmm. and do some good. Oh, yeah. You know, help these people that need some help. Throw yep. a few dollars at them. Give some kid a hunt. Uh, you know, that's the best money you can spend every year is go out and do some good for some kid that's not so fortunate. Yep. And uh, if you ever go once, you'll you'll kind of be hooked on, on you know, it's not just about you. It's about 
other people and, mm-hmm. and doing some good. It's about everybody but us, you know, and it's every every person that I've met in over the years, you know, always has a soft spot in their heart. And, and uh, those of us who are outdoor people, uh, this is your opportunity where you can really make a difference and give back for something that you're passionate about. And, and I think that uh, that is extremely critical. And, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's uh, um, it's just something that you really need to, uh, as an outdoor person, you know, make an effort to do that. But hey, before we uh, wrap it up, I'm just going to say, hey, we got uh, um, some more, a couple openings left for our Learn to Hunt Turkey program. Uh, this Friday is our uh, our uh, educational process, and then the hunt happens on April 7th. But we got information at the Real Shot. Uh, just stop by there, and uh, we'll get you hooked up. But we got a couple more openings left for our uh, 2018 Learn to Hunt program. Stan, great to see you again. Great to have you in the studio, uh, and uh, we'll we'll be connecting here sometime soon. I'm sure. Yeah, it was fun. All right. Well, listen, everybody, thanks for tuning in tonight. Always a pleasure for me to sit in this chair. And uh, if you do have the opportunity to impact somebody's life through the outdoors, take advantage of it. It'll make you a better person. Thanks for uh, listening. Have a great evening and live life in the outdoors. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.